Welcome to the November 2006 podcast of Ordinary Means. Uh, you'll find us on the web at OrdinaryMeans.com. And I am Sean Nolan, your host. And sitting with me here at the table is Matt Bowling. Hi, Matt. Hey, John. We have to begin this podcast with an apology. A technical apology. A technical apology. Now, as we're recording this, it is actually the month of October. Technically. Technically. However, when you're listening to this, it will likely be the month of November. Literally. Not just technically. And although not just because you're New Zealand or something like that. Exactly. Even though it is spring in New Zealand right now and not fall as it is here. But we're going to blame this on the fall. Uh, that we missed October, um, and we probably need a really good excuse for missing October, and so I'm going to offer this up as an excuse. We were just too busy getting ready for Halloween. In fact, uh, Matt is wearing his costume, and uh, so am I right now. Um, Looking good, Sean. Well, thank you. Thank you. I thought the, uh, I thought the pirate thing would suit me. Uh, the problem is I'm having a really hard time seeing my Bible with this patch over my eye. <laughs> Uh, but Matt, you look uh, you look excellent as Dracula. <laughs> oh, well, uh, but I think the the teeth might get in the way as you attempt to talk into the microphone. Okay, I'll don't take don't I'll bite take out. don't bite the mic. I won't. Okay, so we're ready for Halloween, um, but it's November now as you're listening to this. So we're going to move on, and we're going to talk today uh, about a topic that is near and dear uh, to both Matt and I. And that is uh, preparation for worship. We've talked a lot about the actual uh, event we call worship. If, uh, it certainly is an event. It's the high point of the week, corporately, for God's people to gather together for worship. And uh, we've talked a lot about that as we've talked about the ordinary means. The ordinary means are those things that uh, we do in worship. We pray in worship. We uh, take the, of the sacraments, the baptism and the Lord's Supper. We uh, hear the preaching of the word in worship. We, uh, we sing in worship. We do all these things in the corporate worship service. By that we mean the Sunday uh, morning service uh, that the book of Hebrews refers to when it tells us not to forsake the assembling together of God's people. Uh, but what we want to talk about today is not so much that actual service, although we're go- going to address some of the things you can be doing from the pew uh, as you sit in a worship service, some of the ways you can be preparing yourself before, uh, even during the actual worship service. But I think we want to spend the bulk of our time uh, in this podcast talking about what it is you do during the week what it is you can do during the week that makes uh, Sunday special, that makes Sunday uh, more of what God wants it to be? How can you be preparing yourself? How can you be preparing spiritually? How can you be preparing uh, physically even uh, for the Sunday morning worship service? If this is a topic that you've not thought about, then we encourage you to begin thinking about it today. It's, I think it's something that the Israelites understood in, in their concept of Sabbath. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, if you've thought about this before, then we want to encourage you in this podcast to think about it more deeply. And perhaps uh, this will be an opportunity, providentially, God will use this podcast in your life uh, to have you think about something you can do even this week to improve uh, your worship with God's people. Well, that being said, uh, maybe, Matt, we should start out by asking, uh, what are some good books 
on this topic. I know there are, there are several out there. Um, you had named a couple. You've already alluded to one without, I don't know if you're intentionally included in the Uh-oh, title. But there's what actually did I say? An, an older book. You can only get it, I think, used. Um, but it's a book actually called Making Sunday Special. Ah, yes. And um, I believe that's still in print. Uh, uh, it may well still be Karen, in print. Karen Burton Maines. Karen Burton Maines. And um, it, most of our listeners are probably not going to agree with everything that's in that book. Not uh, every book we refer to would we agree with everything either. But conceptually, uh, there's a ton of ideas in there. And there's, um, if, if I can use this term loosely, there's a vision in there. There's a, a way of thinking uh, about the week where Sunday's the pinnacle. Um, I know in my house, a busy pastor, I uh, typically work Monday through Thursday, long days, uh, and I typically take Friday off, and then, you know, what parts of Saturday and Sunday don't need to be taken up to in ministry, I'm also off. But um, my boys really look forward to Friday, because it's one, usually, one whole day when Daddy doesn't work at all, and I'm around. And I know that it's a temptation for them to think about that that's the best day of the week. And we consciously inculcate in them that that's not the best day of the week. It might be the second best day of the week. But the best day of the week is the day that we get to meet with God and his people. And so it's a whole family, it's a whole personal culture, it's a whole family culture of setting aside and looking forward to and anticipating and reflecting. Uh, One of the things, I've taught through some of the principles um, in Making Sunday Special in our congregation, and one of the things that I've recommended is that you have a week that's basically split in half. Half your week looks back at the previous Lord's Day, half the week looks forward in preparation for the next Lord's Day. And so that the the feature uh, in, in our culture, the feature day is Friday, because it's the end of the week. But in, from a Christian viewpoint, the feature day is not Friday. The feature day is Sunday. It's the day when we get to, to be with God, especially um, with the people of God. You know, Matt, you know how I uh, solve that difficulty of uh, my kids seeing my day off as the pinnacle of the week is that I try to avoid my kids Monday through Saturday <laughs> and only see them, I'm just kidding, only see them on Sunday and then they know it's the pinnacle of the week we get to see. I'm just kidding. Karen Burton Maines, uh, Making Sunday Special. Another book, and this is another one, because um, this is not a hot topic. No. Okay? No. In fact, many of you are thinking right now, you know, maybe I'm going to t- tune out, turn off this podcast. Maybe this isn't important. Don't do that. This is very, very important stuff. Uh, the problem is, is that uh, publishers just have not written a lot about this. Uh, or they're not publishing currently on this issue. So another book, and you're going to need to get this off Alibris, uh, Amazon Marketplace, or you might want to try Timeless Texts. I believe that's a .com. Is that mm-hmm. .com? Mm-hmm. TimelessTexts.com, which is the ministry site, a uh, book site of Jay Adams, who wrote this book. It's a book called The Consumer's Guide to Preaching. Great little book. And... Uh, Typical Jay Adams, very, very rich, uh, very practical, uh, very user-friendly. I mean, you can get right into that book, and the first couple pages, you'll find ten things you need to change about your life. Uh, But in that book, what he gives us, obviously by the title, Consumer's Guide to Preaching, is how can we, the, the average believer, the believer sitting in the pew, how can we benefit from the preaching of God's word. How can we prepare ourselves? How can we rightly receive it as we're sitting there? And not just, and not just hear it well, 
on Sunday, I think that most preachers would be thrilled if their people could walk away without a printed outline in the bulletin and from memory be able to give them the three points. And that's a great skill to be able to learn, however many points your pastor uses. Somehow he divides the sermon. Or at least he's got to have at least one big idea, and maybe that's broken down. But most pastors would be thrilled if you could just you know, get the big idea or the three points or whatever. But it's to me, I would be happy with that, but only partially happy because there's no guarantee that that's actually profiting people. It may be a nice piece of trivia that they can recite on Sunday afternoon, but is it transforming them? Is it making any difference? Is is Deuteronomy 6 actually happening? Uh, you might remember from Deuteronomy 6, um, God reminds them, this is the second giving of the law just before they go into the land. Uh, Hear, O Israel, this is starting at verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord uh, is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Okay, we all recognize that as the goal, but impossible. But how do you get from from feeling it's impossible to actually seeing it begin to happen? He tells you, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them. Now, notice the lifestyle that this is. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. I've often, or not often, but a couple of times asked my congregation, uh, wondered with my congregation in the midst of a sermon, how different would the lives of American Christians be if they actually made Sunday special? If they actually took just one day a week and were serious about their spiritual growth on that day? I don't think that's what the word calls us to. I think the word calls us to what Deuteronomy says, which is that this is the frequent topic of conversation in our families, the word. When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, it's, it's a continual discipleship. Well, I like the way you put it, lifestyle. Yeah. This is Deuteronomy 6, is lifestyle discipleship. Right. Uh, so often today, the job of discipleship is put off on the church. And we say, well, discipleship occurs when I'm sitting in Sunday morning, when I'm sitting in my Sunday school class, when I'm sitting in my midweek Bible study, when I'm sitting in my Saturday morning men's meeting. Then discipleship is occurring, but the rest of the time I'm just sort of out on my own. Well, that's not the case. Deuteronomy 6 shows us that discipleship is about all of life. Let me give, an, uh, give you an illustration. Today is my two-year-old's birthday. Um, I can pretty much guarantee you that come tomorrow, she'll still be talking about her birthday. And come the next day, she'll be talking about her birthday. And as she plays with the toys that she got as gifts, as she uh, sees her friends, as she talks with her sisters, as she sees the streamers that are still hung up around the house that we haven't taken down yet, there will still be talk of her birthday uh, for many days into the future. But she didn't just start talking about her birthday today either. She started talking about her birthday. Let's see. When was it? <laughs> we have a lot of fall birthdays in our house. So we probably started talking about her birthday two months ago. And there's been that hint as this little two-year-old walks around singing happy birthday to me uh, throughout, throughout the days for the past two months. Sunday is to have that kind of significance where we look forward to it and then we take something from it. 
the gifts that we have received from during it from God, we then take and dwell upon those things as we go into the week until the next quote-unquote birthday comes. Yet so often we leave the church service and we have a hard time an hour later remembering anything of what we gleaned. And I, I think part of what we want to tell you today is that's not the pastor's fault. That's your fault. Uh, that is our fault as listeners, is in our media-driven society, and it's not the media's fault. It's your fault. Uh, in a media-driven society, we've allowed ourselves uh, to learn that we don't have to retain information. Because it's accessible. You can just go to Wikipedia, Sean. Exactly. I, you just Google it. Right. We don't have to retain. So we're presented images and feelings and uh, presented with all this stuff thrown at our eyes 100 miles an hour on, on TV and in the media. And I don't know if you have this struggle, but reading magazines. The hardest thing I have with reading, problem I have with reading magazines is there's no way to index the information that I receive to get back to it. Right. Um, and that's where something like Google is handy. I appreciate that a lot of the information we're reading uh, is showing up on blogs. It's showing up in different ways. That it's even uh, quotes from the Puritans. There are a couple blogs out there that are just regularly quoting the Puritans and developing a, a real catalog of, of great quotes. Except when this week, when you're what most of you experience and Sean and I experience uh, on Hyperdrive, which is when you read hundreds of pages a week, and you think of some great quote that you know you read, but you have no clue No idea where. what it was. And if the word that you hear on Sunday is just one of those pieces of information that's equal to um, an interview piece on Hannity and Combs, or to an article that you read in Time, and you haven't uh, sequestered your mind to especially take in God speaking. That's what, um, I don't think I've got a copy of the Belgian Confession. Uh, I do on my computer, but it's not booted up. But the Belgian Confession talks about the fact that when the word of God is preached, that if it's done accurately and faithfully, it is the word of God. As though the pastor's not even there. That God himself is there speaking. And, and for some reason, um, because of some of the cultural influences that Sean said, but I think also because our our apprehension is not very good our anticipation is not very good our reflection is not very good our meditation is defunct that we don't treat it as the word of god we treat it like it's a piece from hannity and combs or from larry king and so we uh one of my encouraging congregants he wasn't mean to be encouraging he was trying to give me a taste of reality said 85 percent of the people matt that you're preaching to are actively trying to forget what they just heard and is there any sense that the church would be where it is if that's even remotely close to accurate. Instead of people opening consciously their minds and hearts to the Lord and to his word to hear him speak there, is there any reason why we wouldn't think that things are the way that they are? And that's what we want to do now with this podcast, is we want to, we want to encourage you to regain something you've lost. And we want you to see it as that, as a, as a loss that you are actively forgetting those things that you should be remembering. Uh, when Deuteronomy 6 tells us these are the very things that we are to bring to our remembrance. And so um, how do we do that? Well, we want to look first at two ways during the week. 
and I, Matt hinted at this a little bit earlier, and maybe we can draw this out a little bit more, but preparation for Sunday morning, Matt, begins when? Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon. The, the week before. So, as I said, that's going to sound really odd to you. I'm getting ready for next Sunday, this Sunday? Is this yeah. a trick with a time machine that no. you're talking about? No, it's not a trick. It's, it's that I construct my week, um, and, and it's, it's so easy to do this. We, we, we set the marker somewhere else. I consistently roll over on Monday morning, and if my wife's awake, I say, I don't want to go to school today, Mommy. I want to stay home. Did you and really so, want to reveal that yeah, to I did. us, Matt? Because what the way that we mark our weeks is the habit of our heart that we've built. And so what we've got to do if we're going to make Sunday special is develop a different habit of the heart that sticks with us the whole week long. Let me put that a different way. Um, for some of you more business-minded people who have been through uh, a lot of seminars on uh, time management. What Matt, I guess what you're saying is we need to get our priorities straight. We need to put yes. first things first. Right. And the first thing is not that I don't like Monday morning. The first thing is not that Wednesday is the middle of the week and that Friday is the best day of the week. The marker point has got to be reset for us to be Sunday. And so the way that I anticipate next Sunday and the privilege of worship and to hear God is to reflect on the previous Sunday, what did I hear? How did I take the opportunity to fellowship with somebody else and encourage them with the word? How did they do that with me? Is that even the kind of fellowship that our church has? Or what I conceive of my Sunday to be? We are sitting squarely in the middle of... Uh, a stealer zone at the moment with our producer. And it's very easy uh, in our culture. Uh, you'll notice if you're a sports fan, um, you can be active with a team in your locale. If you're anywhere local to anything constantly, and we can make the focus something even on a Sunday other than God and his word. And so it's a it's a different habit of the heart. So on Sunday afternoon, as I reflect myself with my wife, uh, Sunday evening with my children, and we reflect what did how did the Lord teach us today? We're already beginning to think that wow, if He taught us something today, maybe He'd have something to say to us next week. And then it, that reflection on Sunday in the afternoon gives me something consciously that I'm working with on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then I'm looking back and I'm saying, my wife and I started to, um, when, when we were still in seminary, we would uh, talk on Sunday and we developed, I wish I'd done this a lot earlier, but we would develop a sticky that we would put on our bathroom mirror. Post-it note. Uh, sorry, a post-it note. <laughs> <laughs> that we would put on our bathroom mirror that was, as we talked about it, something that we thought God wanted to work in us from what we'd heard him say in his word that week. And that was the part of a part of our praying that week for our own growth and grace in Christ was that, that we took this and we consciously made it. Instead of trying to forget it, we tried to remember it. And it's, and it's active. We do this all the time. We're always learning. It's just what do we set our hearts on learning? 
you know, what do we value? What is what is most important? You know, I think, Matt, it's one thing to say the practical, go home, figure out what the one thing was, you know, sit down at the lunch table, we'll talk about this, uh, sit down at the lunch table, talk with your kids, see if your kids got the point of the sermon. Right. Uh, so uh, hopefully ingrain in them the habit of sitting through the service with the idea, Dad's going to ask me about this. Well, we should well, be and sitting. more than that, God may want to say something to me today. God does. Well, and that that's where I think we need to get, is that it's more than just a habit. It's more than just the prag- pragmatism of writing out a sticky, which I think is a wonderful idea, because then you've got that on the mirror, you're seeing that every morning, when you get up, when you're shaving, whatever you're doing, you're see- that is being grilled into you for the next six days. Right. Now... We've got to go back further, though. Why in the world would we want to value Sunday that much? And I would say the reason is because who God is. Hmm. And that's got to be the foundation of any preparation for worship. You've got to have a high view of God. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just listening to, um, I don't know if I'm going to have to apologize for this later. I was just listening to Mark Driscoll today. And he was making his his typical Mark Driscoll. Uh, those of you not familiar with Mark Driscoll, he's uh, Mars Hill Church in Seattle. Um, he generally has to apologize for things he says uh, because he tends to let his mouth run off a little bit. Uh, but oftentimes he's right on the money. And he was right on the money in describing the, the Jesus that we serve today as uh, this Jesus who goes around with product in his hair, uh, wearing a white dress and sandals, uh, looking like a guy that your, you know, that your eight-year-old son could beat up. That's not Jesus. And that's not God. When we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about God in human flesh, we're talking about Jesus who had uh, the strength to go into the temple and say, this is supposed to be a house of prayer and overturn the temple. This was a man's man. You know, oh, that's yeah. how Mark Driscoll would put it. I'd put it the same way. Mm-hmm. Jesus was a man's man. In fact, uh, I, I love Pilate when he presents Jesus to the people. He says, behold, the man. This is the man. Jesus is the epitome of what a man is to be, and we have feminized him. We have turned him into sort of a, a hippie conversationalist. You know, we just, if we could just sort of talk and have peace with Jesus and, and everything's going to be just fine, we need to have a higher view of God. And the only place you're going to get a higher view of God is if you go to your Bible. And I'm going I'm to suggest strongly that you go to the prophets in the Old Testament. Because they are constantly describing God. God, through the prophets, is describing who he is. I just want to pick uh, just one verse here. I've got a whole list of uh, verses here in front of me, and I'll, maybe I can list some of these for you. Uh, if you want to write this down, Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, Daniel 9, all the nines, these are key uh, prayer chapters uh, where, where the, the prophets are praying to God and they're exalting the character of God. 1 Kings eight thirty one and following, uh, Psalm 51. But here's, listen to this, this is Psalm 66. It says, Thus says the Lord, 
Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Okay, this is not a little God. This is a big God. This is God Almighty. Heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. And then he says, he says to the prophet, where then is a house that you could build for me? In other words, I'm bigger than anything you could imagine. He says, where is a place that I might rest? Can you build a mattress that big? I can't build a mattress that big. But then, does God rest? Does God need to sleep? For my hands, verse 2 tells us, for my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. Okay, this is God. Then in verse 2, he goes on, Isaiah goes on to tell us who then this God, with whom this God will have to do. He says, but to this one I will look, says the Lord, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Big God, big view of God, little view of ourself, yields an openness to the word. People of God, do you tremble <clears throat> at the word of God? When you hear the word of God on Sunday morning, do you tremble at it? Do you say, this is the God of the universe that I cannot box in in any way, shape, or form? I need to listen to this. And not only do I need to listen to this, I need to apply this to my life. And might I suggest that if you're not doing that, the reason that you're not doing that is because you weren't prepared. That you didn't come into the service, or I didn't come into the service, or Matt, or uh, Scott who here, here who's sitting at the table, that we didn't come into the service ready to tremble at the word of God, and we didn't, weren't ready, because our view of God wasn't big enough. We didn't think it was important enough to spend time during the week preparing spiritually and physically. I did a series... Um uh, I did an occasional series. Just I did two sermons uh, from my congregation a while back. You know that a, occasional in the King James means all the time. Yes. Um, I did a, a series, just a two-sermon series on, on how to listen to a sermon and why it's important for my congregation because I was, I, I, you know, it was one of those times where you hear an absolutely infuriating comment as a pastor, like somebody said, you know, Sunday is um, Sunday's not all that important. And it's one of those things where you just go, hmm, if one person said it, I bet a lot of people are thinking it. We should correct this. And um, I think that one of the things that, that I thought was appropriate and right to say in one of those sermons was, every Sunday, God speaks here. The question is, are we listening? He, he comes each and every Sunday, and through his word, in gratitude for the gospel, he speaks a message of transformation every single Sunday because that's what his word is designed to do and a faithful servant of the word is doing that. Uh, is, is, that's what they're seeking. Is they're asking God as they're preparing a pastor. I, I think that this is what God designed the word for, that a pastor is going and saying, Lord, what does this word mean and how do you want to transform my people this week through it? And so God speaks a transforming word every week that he calls us to respond to out of gratitude for grace. And it's whether we're 
ready to listen to it or not. Are we ever going to be ready to listen? Not by ourselves. We, we, we won't. Uh, we'll resist it. We'll turn from the word. We'll be like the Israelites who grumbled in the wilderness against the, the word of the Lord, and then we won't trust him. It's even, it's funny, we've got to ask for grace so that we'll be willing to go get grace through the word. Um, you've got to ask, and sometimes maybe that's the first point. Maybe you've had a really hard experience lately in life, and you, you don't want to hear from the Lord. Um, you're resistant to listening. And sometimes the first point just to start it is just to say, Lord, make me willing to even be willing to listen, because I'm not even there right now. We, we've got to start with a humble prayer. Yeah. That's what Isaiah 66 essentially mm-hmm. said. Who, who will God, with whom will God have to do? It's he who is humble. Right. And who trembles at his word. And so what we've got to do is start with prayer and do exactly what you're saying, Matt. Say, God, I, I just, I come to Sunday morning and I'm thinking about a million other things. I'm thinking about the game later. I'm thinking about the what we're going to have for lunch. I'm thinking about the fact, as soon as I get up from this pew, i got 18 things at the house I need to get done so that I'll, I'm ready for Monday morning and I don't feel overwhelmed this week. Uh, and, and so we've got to start with prayer. We've got to start with the spiritual preparation of prayer. Well, and I think that it's it can't just be... You know, Sunday night at 9.30, I hold hands with my wife and we pray. Although that's a great oh, thing to do. a great start. I'd love like, to see people doing just that. Oh, I think it would be a great start, but it's not the end. No. See, I think that the, the great difficulty, and, and Sean and I run into this, he and I talk about this uh, on the side, far away from podcast, is that the great difficulty for all of us is we're just too stinking busy. There was a, a book written in the 90s called Margin, and I can't commend the whole book to you, but the concept is good, which is that we tend to live life um, all the way out to the margin. And it's frequent that I'll come home um, to my wife and I'll just say, I don't think that God made us r- to run flat out like this all the time. And, and there's one sense I'm preaching this week on one of the hard sayings of Jesus that he says, you know, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And there's a sense in which we are to live poured out lives. But there's a sense in which, too, that it's impossible to live that kind of poured out life if your life's not meditative. If you don't have margin um, to meditate, to sit back, to reflect, to ponder, to ask God. Um, That sermon on Sunday, there was some sin in there that you, you pointed out to me. I need to think about that. I, I need I need you to show me why do I sin like that. I frequently teach my congregation with these words: If you don't know why you sin, you have no hope for stopping. Because we can say, "Lord, help me not do this," and it's fine. It's a good prayer, but you need to be able to get into your heart and to see what are the idols that are there. What are you serving? What do you love? Who are you being led by? Whose voice are you listening to? All those kinds of things. <clears throat> in understanding how it is that you change and why you do what you do. And it's impossible to do that unless you sit back and you, and you ask God to, to lay your heart open as you read his word and you see 
uh, other people in the Bible that struggled with that same sin. You know, what was in their heart? And is that what's in my heart? And so in order to, I guess what we're trying to say is that in order to profit from a sermon on Sunday, there's a, a habit of lifestyle where I'm a meditative person. Thoughtfulness. Yeah. Uh, when in reality, <clears throat> our thoughts are not full. Our thoughts are stuffed <laughs> with stuff. I, I, you look at, um, uh, you look at, you know, the, I mean, this is a personal soapbox of mine, but you mentioned the voices that we listen to. You know, how much, how many of us are working during the week and we have access to the Internet? And there's just so much time-wasting stuff on the Internet. I don't even know what the statistic is. Maybe, Scott, maybe you know. How many videos get put on YouTube every day? I don't mean, it's something, some ridiculous number in the thousands. Uh, I don't have time to watch all that. And I, I find if you want that margin in your life, if you want to listen to solely God, the place to start is with those with the entertainment aspect of your life is to cut back on the entertainment and suddenly you'll find margin coming back to your life you don't need all the entertainment in fact what you'll find is meditating on the things of god is so much more fulfilling than the things we do for pleasure it's funny my uh, <clears throat> purely for economics uh, when my wife and I bought our house about four years ago, uh, we chose not to get not to take cable. And where our house is situated uh, is behind a hill from where all the television signals come from. And we also situate our television downstairs, so it's not in the main living space. And for that reason, the combination of all those factors, you can receive no TV in my house. And uh, we were like, oh, this is going to be lousy, but, you know, we'll make it until finances get better or whatever. We've never missed it. I tell people because I don't want it to appear legalistic. You know, it's not by conviction, but we don't miss it. We're glad that in the evenings our boys go to sleep, we get the dishes done, and my wife and I look at each other, and we talk, and we read. And that's a different habit of life um if you hope to profit from sunday from god's word on sunday it's also got to be something that you're consuming regularly the other days of the week it's not something you can just it's not like a hat you can just sort of pick up imagine uh, something at work that you only did for an hour once a week how bad you would be at it you just you you would not grow competent with it you can't you can't keep a skill uh, together and an hour a week when you've got 167 other hours that you're doing other things with. It's very difficult to. So it's something that is you have to not just grow in your the quality of your reflectiveness, but also the quantity of it. That as you read the word yourself and as you pray and as you sit together around your, your family table. I think we've talked about family worship here before uh, on the podcast. That the word is something that is a part, as Deuteronomy talks about, of the daily life of your family. That when a situation occurs, where we go is we take the book off the shelf and we pull it out and we go, you know what, that situation that just transpired reminds me of... And we we go to the Word and we discover the, the, the sins that people did, the way that they handled things, and so we begin to process the world through a biblical grid. 
and it whets our anticipation that there might be something new that I've, got, that I've not learned before that God might say to me on Sunday. And so we build through feeding ourselves through the week to the pinnacle where we believe that God's set apart this man to bring this word to us that we might grow. And that occurs through the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. The Holy Spirit is our instructor. He is the one who has come to lead us into all truth. Right. If we're spending our week in good quality time, consistent time in the Word of God, then when we come on Sunday morning, how much more scripture does the Holy Spirit have to bring to our remembrance? How, how much more, you know, it's the old uh, canon, I'm reading a, a series of um, a naval historical naval books right now, the Horatio Hornblower series by C.S. Forrester. And uh, he describes the process of prepping a cannon to fire. And part of that process is the amount of gunpowder you put in. That the more gunpowder you put in, the farther that cannonball is going to fly. And so the, if you put in a little bit, it's, you know, it's going to come up short of the guy you're shooting at. If you put in too much, it's going to go beyond. But it's that idea, if you really want to be struck by the Word of God on Sunday morning then your meditation on and your time in the Word of God during the week is that gunpowder. I mean, it's, it's the cannonball as well. Right. But in terms of thinking about Sunday morning, the analogy that the Word of God during the week is that, is that gunpowder. And the more you got in there, the bigger of an explosion you're going to have on Sunday morning. The more uh, there is to work with and the, the harder the blow is going to be in a good way. In a good way. Uh, so let's let's summarize where we've come. We've we've got to be in the Word during the week. Uh, we've got to be praying, confessing our sins. Uh, we've got to be praying that God would would help us, acknowledging humbly that we can't do this. It's got to be God working in us and speaking mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about physical preparation. How do we prepare physically for um, this? Is could be an immensely practical. How do you prepare physically? Uh, for Sunday morning? Uh, Saturday night is the earliest consciously we go to bed every week. Uh, now that's by necessity for me because I'm up early to put print out the outline for my congregation to put in their bulletin, put my final touches on the sermon to pray. Um, but also for us that we want our boys to have gotten a good night's sleep we want us to be well-rested, that we can be attentive to the Word. Um, logistically, that the day is set up, that we're not running around trying to find clothes. And this took us a while to do, to be honest with you. Um, it took us a while to get to the point that when we go to bed on Saturday night, it's at a reasonable time and all of the clothes are already ready. You mean you don't iron five minutes before you need to leave for church? No, never. Don't do it. Um, and, and I help my wife with that. It's frequently me ironing on Saturday night. Um, and maybe, guys, you need to think about that, that if your wife is harried on Sunday morning, is it because you played with the boys on Saturday and didn't help her get ready? Uh, maybe it's that you're having people over from church, and uh, there's a lot of things that need to get done, and maybe you need to lighten up your Saturday load so that you're able to get more ready for Sunday so you're not quite so packed. Do you know, can I rant yes, for just a moment? May you have a rant? Yes. You know what I need to rant about? Um, meals on Sunday. 
I need to rant about this for a minute. Because wait, wait. Let me take a survey first. Okay. Sean, what is your typical meal when you come home from church on Sunday? My typical meal, crock pot. You know what a typical meal is? Hmm. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Don't have to cook it. Sometimes grilled cheese. Well, you know, that's our, um, let you in on an intimate detail of my life. Uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday night, yes, Sunday night is popcorn, slices of cheese, and a big glass of milk. That's usually what our family eats on, on Sunday night. There's no, there's no effort. And even if we have people over, and then I'll let you have your ranch. Okay. Right? Even if we have people over, um, it is always for a pre-programmed meal, and it's always a division of labor. If it's during the year, I make chicken breasts in the grill, and Jillian has everything else all ready to go. So that we're not able, we don't have to focus on our stress or on the food, but on the people and the fellowship and the word. Okay, that was basically my rant. Uh, oh. thank you for thank you for covering that. Well, you knew you knew we we great minds think alike. You knew where we where I was going with that is so often the reason we don't show hospitality on Sunday is because it's a stress, and Sunday is a day of rest. Mm-hmm. And if the the people in your church, if you're a pastor listening to this, you need to get your people in your church, used to the idea that when they go over to someone else's house, that the fair is, is not going to be Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving meal. You know, it's going to be something that was easy to prepare or is easy to prepare at the last minute or perhaps just needs to be, was made on, on Saturday night, needs to be thrown in the oven. See, we're talking about preparation for worship right, here. Right. If you really value the Lord's Day, then, then what you need to do is take the time during the week to prepare for the Lord's Day. And one of the ways that you do that is by preparing the food. So oftentimes what we'll do is, uh, or what my wife will do, is throw something in the crock pot. Mm-hmm. And then it's ready. Or we'll, we'll you, prepare the vegetables ahead of time, and yep. we'll, we'll throw a chicken in and let it roast on 225. Yep. For the whole morning while we're gone. Or you have, you have cold cuts, you have something, right. like I said, something, something you can throw the oven. Something easy. Something you can prepare beforehand. What you want to do, if you're a pastor or you're an elder thinking about this, and you find that in your congregation that people are not exercising hospitality on the Lord's Day, which is the best day for most of us, because we ought to have the margin. And we ought to be trying to, and I'm not trying to be, you know... Well, if there is any margin, it's generally on Sunday. Generally, it's on Sunday. But you want to give the opportunity for people to speak about the word and to encourage each other and exhort each other. And as the Puritans used to put it, improve the sermon. Uh, not That's not critique the pastor as to how the sermon could have been better, although that's not bad, but tell the pastor. It is that we take the sermon and we improve it to ourselves. That we look at it and we go, well, maybe the, the applications that the pastor picked that week didn't necessarily fit our situation, but the word he said was true, and what would be an application that would fit our situation? Or maybe the application the pastor made hit a little too close to home, and we're a little offended, and we need somebody to help peel us off the ceiling. And other people do that, and they they wince, and they come alongside of us, and they say, you know, the Lord's got something beautiful here, even though I know that you're resistant to this. Let's think about it together. And it's that processing of the word together um, that frequently leads us to our growth. 
And so we've got to give the margin. And if, if too high of an expectation for what hospitality looks like stands in the way, lower the barrier. An example it. Have simple meals. Have people over to your home. Show them let how to do pe- it. Encourage your elders to do it. Let people see your house dirty. Right. Yep. You know, one more thing on that, on the food topic. Um, if you go to a church where you have luncheons after the church, uh, or if you go to a church where there is food preparation to be done maybe for snacks after the service, get to church early and prepare that food before the service begins, before the Sunday school class begins, before the prayer meeting begins. Don't use the scheduled times of study and worship to be preparing food downstairs in the church kitchen. I was just to, to that point. It's funny. I was reading something somewhere this week, no clue where, where somebody was talking about that so many times what prayer stands for in our service is the ability to transition neatly and quickly so that when you close your eyes to pray with the pastor, the where where the pastor's standing, um, the platform or whatever you want to call it, perhaps it'd be a stage, I don't know, but it... Um, where the pastor is standing, there's nobody but him. But when you open your eyes, it's it's open. And so many times what we've done in worship is... Mm-hmm. So Sean, suddenly the band appears? Suddenly the band appears. And, and um, poof! And, 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 you know, Sean and I are all for more than just, you know, one instrument. But I think that the concept that Sean's trying to say about how you use your time is that this time that God gives us under the Word is for everybody. And you don't want to... Um, short yourself by making your Sunday so stressful that you can't listen. You can't slow down. Um, Because that's what we need. We need to slow down. Maybe, Matt, what we need to do is uh, start a second podcast, Cooking Tips, (laughs) with uh, Matt and Sean. Perhaps Perhaps we could do that. So if you're... Hopefully what we're saying about preparation on Saturday night... Is sounding familiar to something you've heard in the Bible. Something about, oh, the Sabbath preparations of the Israelites, perhaps. Uh, we've really taken it, I know as a, as a family, and I, I don't want to be legalistic about this, but I want to encourage you to do this uh, as a response to God's grace. Um, consider, an anticipation of God's grace. An anticipation of God's grace. Consider the pattern that the Israelites had. God gave them that pattern for a reason. There was great wisdom in that pattern, and that pattern was sundown to sundown. Uh, So thinking of your Sunday, uh, not as in from the moment I wake up on Sunday morning till, well, at worst, when the service ends, but at best, the end of Seven o'clock, night. 7 o'clock when you have to start thinking about the sales start calls think- you need to make and the kids' backpacks getting packed and lunches made and, yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, i got a real easy way to give you all Sunday evening free to think about Monday morning is start on Saturday night. And as Matt hinted at, uh, that's, that's when you get the clothes out. Um, you get the house clean Saturday for us is house cleaning day, straighten things up. All the kids have their, have their respective rooms and their respective jobs. Um, that's when we get the food prepared. Uh, it's when we sit down as a family, we read the text. If we know, if you know the text that your pastor's going to preach the next day, it's a great time to do it. Uh, put that, uh, before your kids, uh, before your wife and yourself, so you can be thinking about that. Usually if your pastor is preaching exegetically, 
you have a good idea where he's going the next week. Uh, but do all those things on Saturday night. And wow, what a difference. When Sunday morning comes, things are laid out. They're ready. You'll find, wow, we're, uh, we're actually ready to leave for church before we need to leave for church. Now, hint, at that point, go ahead and leave for church. Uh, you'll be amazed how the Lord will use it. He'll give you an opportunity to talk with people before the service. Uh, he'll give you the opportunity to hear things, maybe even talk with the pastor in ways that you wouldn't have gotten the chance to normally on a Sunday. In this way, the Africans are much better uh, than us. Um, oh, Sean's, Sean's uh, no done, some, done some work in Africa, and um, we have a, a number of friends there. In fact, a mentor to both of us is now serving as a missionary over there, and uh, he and his wife. And um, one of the things that the Africans do is that uh, their sense of time is far different than ours. Um, their, uh, the Steeler game is a lot later for them, and so they're not they're they're not consumed with how quickly or how little time I can spend at church. Well, see, they don't have the Steeler game to bide for their time, right? And so we, the way they do it is they don't get there early. The service starts once everybody gets there. Right. And so the posted time might be 1030, but you're not actually going to start maybe till 1130 or 12. And for them to, to stick around and talk for a while might take you into the middle of the afternoon. And for most of us, that, that would be a huge burden on us. Because our children aren't used to talking intelligently with adults. We're not used to a conversation of more than 10 or 15 minutes with another adult. And so we're relationally deficient and we deprive ourselves by spending the least amount of time that we can with the people of God. And that's why you might have gotten the hint a little bit earlier that we're really in favor of hospitality on the Lord's Day. Because we're throwing a lot of hints today, um, aren't we? I mean, most of the guys in my congregation work 45 minutes to an hour away. And most of them are in prime earning years, which means they're 10, 11 hours a day at work. Combine that with the driving, and there is no shot at all for them to do hospitality reasonably during the week. Okay? So they got one day to do it. If you fill it with something else, you've got no day to do it. And that's... Uh, that's a problem. Big problem. Let's change tax a little bit. Um, how can we prepare for singing to the Lord during the week? I think that one, this is a fascinating question because we are, a, in one sense, we're a song-saturated culture and we're a singing-less culture. We've, prof- we've professionalized music in our culture. And so it is not, um, if there is a family in my church that sits around their dinner table and sings besides mine, I would be surprised. And it's not because I haven't encouraged it or been willing to model it or any of those kinds of things. There's just a vast uncomfortableness. Well, if you were to open up your Dracula cape right now, we would see a T-shirt that says, Super Christian. No, no. I didn't learn to sing until I became a pastor. Or at least until I was in seminary, did I even start paying attention to it? Um, 
And yet, you know what? Last night, Sean and I, our, our children, except Sean's oldest, are very close in age to each other. Sean's three youngest and my three are very close in age to each other. And my youngest, who turned two, uh, let's see, on uh, September 22nd, so about a month ago, was singing last night. He's used to sitting at the table. We sit at the table for at least 45 minutes every night together. And we eat, and the boys wait until mommy and daddy are done eating, and then we read the Bible, and then we do catechism questions, and then we sing, and then we pray. And so they are used to 15 minutes, 20 minutes of worship every night. And all three of my boys can sing, not equally well. My middle boy's insane. But the other two are competent. They can carry a tune, and they're very comfortable. And it's going to be easy for them to have families where they, I have three boys, I have three heads of households that I'm raising, where they're going to do that. Um, guys, you need to just put your time and your effort into this because you're depriving your families if you're not teaching them to sing the word of God, the hymns of the faith. Um, and that's why our churches are louder. My church is louder on Sunday when we confess our sins than when we sing. And that's not right. They ought to at least be equally enthusiastic that we sing the glories of grace as well as we speak the words of confession or, or, or even our, our confession of faith. Real practical tip. If you are struggling with singing, especially guys, you don't see yourself as a, uh, as a strong singer, you need to do what Matt did. And that was he joined the choir. As a non-singer, he joined the choir because he knew, as a pa- this was back in seminary, as a pastor one day, he'd have to be leading singing, and uh, he knew as a, as a head of a, his house, he'd have to be leading singing. We need to, what we do, and I encourage churches to do this, every family in our church, um, if they do not have a hymnal in their home, if they don't have a psalter in their home, we give them one. They don't even, they don't have to pay a penny for it. They just tell us, I don't have one. We give it to them when you when you join when you join the church, you know we give you a Bible, a hymnal, and a psalter, and that's that is the uh, that's what the parents need in their home, and you need to be going through it. Now, some of you who aren't musical and can't carry a tune, you can you can look at the hymnal and read the words of the hymns. There's a resource that I want to mention before I forget. Oh, yes. Um, there's a um, when my children get older, we'll sing hymns out of the hymnal, but right now what we use, and we love it, they can sing it a cappella, but they love this CD that we've got. It's a guy here in, he's on the East Coast somewhere, it might be in Pennsylvania. But anyways, it's a resource called Tuning Children's Hearts. And it's a CD of um, a guy playing guitar and another guy singing. It's very simple, it's very well done, and it's keyed to catechism questions. It's key to the kids' catechism. And so they're singing something that thematically links with a or with, with a couple or several catechism questions. And so my boys um, probably can't formulate for you the doctrine of total depravity, but they can sing it already. 
And and that's that's what you're trying to create is you don't have to be this great song person by yourself. Get this CD. It gives you yep. 50 songs that will teach your kids most of the basic doctrine that they need to know, and you don't have to lead it. You can mumble along with it and maybe learn to sing with them. There's a, there's a set of three CDs out there called 101 Hymns of the Faith. Uh, that's gonna that's gonna work for you. Pop it in the CD player, and it's got all the great hymns, and you can sing along with it. If you got a computer, uh, you can look online. There's a thing called Cyber Hymnal, uh, as well as you can find. Uh, you know, in our denomination, we use the Trinity Hymnal. You can find the Trinity Hymnal online, where all of the tunes are there in what's called MIDI format, which basically means a, a format that you can play on your computer. And you can actually sit there. Sometimes I'll, I'll want to introduce a song to the congregation, and, and I, I play a little bit of piano, but sometimes I'm just sitting at my computer. I'll pull that up and teach myself a hymn simply by listening to the MIDI being played on the computer. So there are so many resources readily available. If you're not availing yourself of them, uh, that's the problem. The problem is not that you're tone deaf. The problem is you've not availed yourself of the resources uh, that are available for you. I encourage you at all your meetings uh, during the church, if you have a church that's struggling with singing, your men's meeting, your ladies' meeting, your home fellowships, pastors, encourage every meeting of the church to include singing. Hmm, that's a great thought. Uh, just one song before it begins. Sing together. You can do it a cappella. There's got to be somebody in your group who can lead, uh, who can lead a song. We've come to the worship service on Sunday morning. Uh, maybe what we want, you know, maybe what we want to do. We've come to the end of our time. We've been uh, we've been talking for this uh, about this for about an hour now. Let's do this. Let's come back next time, and let's talk about next time the specific ways uh, that we can be actually participating in the worship service. We've talked about preparation. Let's next month. Uh, let's talk about participation. Sounds good. Okay, and we'll leave you. We'll leave you with that. I want to add one other book uh, that came to my mind as we were talking um, that will sort of gear you up for next next week. But that's a book uh, called Parenting from the Pew or Parenting in the, the Pew. Pew. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who's the author? Robbie of that? Castleman. Robbie Castleman, and that is a book that will tremendously help you to think about what do you do with your kids while you're sitting there on Sunday morning. I uh, wanted to bring that up as a valuable resource. Uh, but other than that. Prepare. That's, uh, that's our word to you today, is prepare for worship. Uh, put worship first, not only on Sunday morning, but throughout your week, because God is first in your life. And may that God richly bless you as you pursue him through preparation in his ordinary means of grace. 